Welcome to a new Ad Voices podcast. My name is Elena Schulz, and today we are resuming our podcast edition after the summer break in the Northern Hemisphere. We are proud to present you with a podcast that we recorded in Rotterdam at our Unite for Quality Education and Leadership Conference. It features Global Teacher Prize Award winner Maggie McDonnell of Quebec. She is also a member of Education International's Quebec affiliate, CSQ, and was selected from among 20,000 nominees worldwide at the Vaki Foundation's Global Education and Skills Forum in Dubai last year. McDonnell, a teacher in a fly-in Inuit village called Saluit in the Canadian Arctic, was recognized with the $1 million prize for her efforts in transforming her community. She talked to our colleague Andrew King about challenges, dreams and ideals of a teacher who is a cornerstone in the lives of her students. I'm Andrew King with Education mm -hmm. International at Voices with Maggie McDonnell, this year's Global Teacher Prize recipient and the star of Unite Rotterdam, it turns out, today on the final day of the conference. Maggie, my, I was thinking about this last night and, and looking at your profile and raised in rural Nova Scotia. How do you mm -hmm. end up in Africa and then in the Arctic? What, what kind um, of journey took you? I think it actually makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, I grew up in a really small place, just about 300 people. And I think when you grow up in a context like that, uh, you're not a number. You feel like a person. Everybody around you is a person and you become really connected to your community. And sometimes I think uh, instead of becoming too much a specialist, you're kind of a generalist uh, when you're in a small place. You know, Everybody can kind of fix the car, everybody can kind of fix the fridge, everybody can has a variety of skills. Uh, you know, everybody can bake a good cake or something like that. You have that. no choice. <laughs> Milk the cow, you know, <laughs> right? And um, I think when you grow up in that type of, type of place, it does actually serve you really well to do community work, either internationally or, or back within Canada. So I was so excited when I finished my first degree. Uh, my whole goal was to like, how can I launch this into doing something internationally? I'd been in love with, with the idea of Africa ever since I was a kid. And um, so to have the chance to go and work there for over five years, so I've been able to do my master's and my research uh, also all my field work there as well, that just meant so much to me, and uh, yeah. You talked about you never got sick when you went to Africa, Not and really, you know, no. so you really were, yeah. you were ready for an experience like that, but mm. you know, what are the challenges you face there that now, or since you've moved to the Arctic, uh, what, what did you learn being in Africa, and how did you take those experiences and translate them when we're back um, home? I'm really grateful to, uh, to a big institution that, that's informed me a lot, it's called the Cody International Institute and it's located in Nova Scotia and I've always relied upon them and they're the series that they work in terms with of, uh, in terms of community development to really inform how I approach it but as I mentioned uh, in my presentation I really try to take an asset based community development approach so the ABCDs look at what's there uh, what's the potential what are the talents what are the resources already there rather than kind of taking needs based approaches. I think that's helped me a lot. Another big lesson I gained from the Cody in terms of traveling uh, internationally or working cross-culturally is this reminder that we have two eyes, two ears, and we have just one mouth. 
So whenever you're in a new place, because sometimes we can be so quick to judge, especially what is different, we can really fall into some negative, often racist stereotypes. Uh, so you really got to take your time, look, understand, listen, before you make any proclamations, if you even need to do that, as especially as an outsider. It's really interesting yeah. you just talk about taking time. Now, you've been there for five years now, working mm -hmm. in the North, and, and I've been reading that many of the teachers, they stress out, burn out in less than a year. Mm -hmm. what, what was the secret for you to be able to, to handle that for so long? But like you mentioned, taking the time to listen and learn, was that really a, a major component to that? I think it helped. I think it helped me so much that I had cross-cultural experience before and that I had a lot of uh, training in community development or working cross-culturally in addition. Uh, and I, I would, when new teachers would come up and I knew maybe it was their first job experience and, and uh, I would be worried you know protective and I want to be helpful to them too but but I was hoping that they were were, were gonna make it through because honestly our development context in Canada is really really complicated and really really difficult and it, I think it's a huge challenge and sometimes uh, I wish we could rebrand sort of Canada's North or rebrand the indigenous issues that we're facing in Canada because I wish more people who have amazing skills and amazing backgrounds would be attracted to take that on uh, as well as s local people rising up as they are every day and taking on challenges within their community but e every time I would go home for my summer break or my holiday break a ton of my friends are like why are you up there like when are you gonna come back like why 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 and I'm like well why not like yeah it's hard but as a Canadian, I mean, I, I got to contribute, try, hopefully contribute, but I've got to try to do something in my own borders, with my own country, and, and I can't run away from my history. See, that, that spirit and that energy, I wish I could bottle that. I mean, people would probably want to buy that energy, but I'm sure you do have your difficult moments living there. How, how do you deal with that? I mean, I, I know you've had to deal with, with suicides with your students and, and those challenges that spread through those communities like wildfire. Yeah. How do you personally deal with that? What's your support system like up there? Um, okay, there's a few things probably. I don't, uh, I tend to have healthier coping strategies for dealing with stress. So I like physical activity, you know, so I, I get up there and I help make a fitness center, help make sports teams as much as arguably for the community as it is for me, right? <laughs> because this is a healthy space for me to be me as well and to connect with people. Another thing that helps me a lot is building relationships. If I connect with people, I just get a lot of support from that. So even though it is so devastating and heartbreaking to go to funerals, okay, and, and to go to the burial grounds and, and watch your students go into the Arctic tundra, right? That is so hard to watch. But as I'm watching that, I, I'm watching my students also bury them and I'm like oh my god how resilient are they like right now to be at the church to be singing these songs to be with the family to be making meals for them to be supporting them to, to literally give the final ritual that we sort of know of to, to, to their brother to their cousin to their classmate etc I mean that's so courageous it's so powerful um, 
and the connection I have with these kids uh, is really difficult for me to want to leave uh, because um, it sounds like a, a slogan, but I know I'm making a difference. Yeah. Well, you see because, it. You see and they've it. told me, they're like, Maggie, you really helped me. So, so it's kind of like, well, man, I'm helping this kid. And then I see them help so many more. And I'm like, wow, like, look at me. I'm privileged enough to help one of my students, Larry. He's this amazing rapper. Mm -hmm. He raps these awesome songs with these positive messages. And he gets, he's had over 20 Facebook messages from, from kids his age, right? To say, when, when I'm in a suicidal crisis, I'm having those suicidal thoughts, I listen to your songs and it got me through. Got me through that really tough night. He's had over 20, 20 messages on that. And I'm like, man, I got to help you. And you just helped 20 kids across this region that have even bothered to tell you. This is so incredible um, how much sport plays an integral role in, in improving mm -hmm. mental health. Yeah. And was this something you always realized when you, when you got there, oh, you knew right away, this is what I'm going to do. Or it just, it came to you from watching and learning, realizing, boy, they, they don't have this, this component doesn't exist in their lives. Like, I've always been passionate about physical activity because I know it benefited me a ton. But I did go to grad school and I, you know, always try to apply a critical lens to what I'm doing. Like, these are maybe my biases, maybe sport affected my life positively, but I can't make general sweeping, broad stroke, paintbrush statements about how it might affect everybody else. But definitely as soon as I started to offer like basketball practice or running clubs or the fitness center so many youth just kept responding and adults as well too <laughs> and um, just seeing the way that they responded I knew it meant something to them I mean there was a day I can still remember uh, I was at the fitness center I had opened it up for the evening and I didn't quite know yet because uh, sometimes it takes a little time for word to get around the, the village or the region but there had been a suicide uh, that afternoon. It was in another village, but it was of a really prominent young person. He was, he's a role model kid and, and uh, I knew him personally and uh, the kids, a lot of the students I t taught knew him personally. And I'm, when I found out, I'm like, oh no, like this is, uh, this is not a good day because we just lost a hero, you know? Like this is a, this is a really important kid and he's a he's connected to a lot of kids and now they're gonna be at risk and I, I turn my head to the right and uh, in walks one of my Jason one of my favorite runners walks in and he's like Maggie did you hear the news I'm like yeah yeah I just caught it on Facebook he's like yeah he's like I'm really glad I can come here tonight and and we just we were together, so he had my social support, right? He had an entire safe, healthy fitness center to be in, so he could run if he needed to, he could squat, he could punch a punching bag, like whatever he needed Just to let do. let it out. It was there, right? That whole evening, so many of the their kids in the running club and other people all came up and they worked out. So he has all these other social supports, mm -hmm. these other people who knew what he was going through. He could have made so many other choices that night in giving his contacts, he could have smoked pot, got drunk, like been violent, vandalized something. Would have been 125% understandable, right? But he chose to make that choice. Wow. You know, and, and I know he's been made vulnerable by all the suicides around him. 
right? So, so I, and I've, I've had kids tell me, young people tell me, teenagers, it's, it's made a difference. And, and I'll say this too, I wish that it wasn't making such a difference. I wish that we were addressing the, these Canadian issues of decades of public underfunding for Indigenous communities. I wish that we were building 2,000 houses, that we were putting in proper mental health professional support, that we were supporting local cultural traditions to begin with. Um, I don't think physical activity is, it's, is it's, it's not it's the, the remedy. issue, but, yeah. but it's a band-aid yeah. to kind of keep some kids yeah. going. Yeah. And, and, and it's a tool I've got to work with, so, so I'm going to work with it. So this opportunity with the Varkey Foundation, you receive a million dollars toward creating projects. What do you want to do with that money? My dream is that I'll make a nonprofit uh, with my students, okay? And it'll focus on revitalizing cultural traditions and promoting environmental stewardship mm -hmm. with uh, Indigenous young people in Canada. And, and I felt this as a, as a non-Indigenous Canadian growing up. I always kind of look to our indigenous people like and I romanticize them like they're going to save the land. They're going to they're going to protest. They're going to be our activists to make sure those pipelines don't go in and make sure those rivers are clean and protect our waterways and all of that. And, and uh, but as I worked in the community that I lived in, I'm like, oh, my gosh, these people are dealing with so much. And now they also have to protect the environment at the same time. We're dealing with climate change. The Arctic is is feeling it at a rate four times faster than the rest of Canada, right? And I'm like, in my head, okay, this is a crucial issue. I can't say it's my forte. I don't come from an environmental background, okay? I'm not an expert uh, in, in ge geology, <laughs> climate change per se, but I believe, I know it's happening. I've seen it happen in, even in the seven years that I've been, been in Canada's north. And I know that the kids have the potential to be leaders in this, but we, but let's fast track that. Let's build some programs to quickly get them up to that level because climate change is happening quick. It's urgent, and we've got to be even faster in our response. And this is really an area they can shine. This is their own backyard, and why not give them this opportunity to say we, we could become the experts here mm -hmm. yeah. and deal with this problem head on. Seize it and take it. It's theirs. I mean, I feel like their platform is is there. Like people want to hear their voice on those issues. So how can I try to potentially engage more young people, address structural barriers that are keeping them away from the land, et cetera, help them out with some training, help them out with some better facilities. And it'll, in my head, it'll all be based around sort of kayaking. The Inuit invented the kayak. We find that all over the world. I've been so lucky. I've lived in like five, six different countries. I've seen a kayak in every country I've been in right before I won the million dollars in Dubai. I looked, out, I looked out the window of this amazing hotel I'm in and I see two people kayaking by. <laughs> and I'm like, the kayak is here. It's everywhere, but it's probably uh, the culture's least strong in the north yeah. where it's been kind of stripped and undermined it from, mm -hmm. their, from their culture. So let me help bring it back there and then, oh my goodness, all the things that we can do with that uh, Be there. Before I let you go, I just was curious, you, the million dollars, your face is everywhere. I've seen you, articles about you all over the world. How have you dealt with that experience? Because that really breaks you out of your mold, for um, sure. Well, a few things, I guess. Uh, I haven't touched the million dollars yet. So <laughs> just keeping it, telling the Berkey Foundation we'll have to, give them a call, to you know? keep it for now until I've got a plan. 
because I don't want to go on some irresponsible spending <laughs> some night, you know. Uh, secondly, there's a huge advantage to, to living in the isolated Canadian North, <laughs> is that uh, you don't, your, your head can't get too big up there and um, can't develop too much of an ego. You got to play, uh, stay pretty humble when you're working with Indigenous people as a non-Indigenous person and I hope that I'm staying humble uh, throughout this experience. And honestly, I blame the poor internet, uh, but I never check or read any articles about me. I know that there's stuff out there and I just have to, to trust that journalists like yourself, uh, other people working in media are properly capturing the story. And, and as much as I can, I'm trying to continue to educate myself because again, I'm coming from a classroom. I'm coming from my own unique, like, specific experience right and I have anecdotes and stories but I need to learn a lot more about how they're rooted in greater research or in greater context so as much as possible I'm trying to meet with you know the, the housing boards the health boards etc so I can learn more what are your messages if I've been given this platform what's the message that you want me to share please tell me and I ask that continuously especially to my Inuit colleagues what do you want me to say if I'm in this context are you okay if I'm sharing this story is this fine with you and uh, that's something I'm always trying to maintain a respectful relationship about Maggie a wonderful story thank you very much for being here and for talking mm -hmm. with me today thank right. you so much enjoy today's podcast then don't forget to subscribe. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes.